The All-Star Mumbrella Sports Marketing Summit lineup has been completed with TOA, Optus, Fox Sports, Nine, and more. It's undeniably a mammoth year for sports in Australia, so why not check yourself out of office on the 24th of August for a day? Come along, learn and network with the industry's elite marketers. Take a look at the full program and score your tickets while you still can. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash sports to book your tickets. Bluebird is officially a thing of the past as the platform's owner Elon Musk took the first step of making Twitter the everything app he envisioned by changing its name to X. Meanwhile, News Corp Australia's director of the Growth Intelligence Centre, Dan Craigstein, joins the chat and talk about the new research conducted by the centre and what marketers are missing out when interacting with cold or culturally and linguistically diverse audiences. And finally, a chat with Media CEO Kathy O'Connor on some latest business updates from the out-of-home provider after some major contract wins. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Darcy Song and joining me today is Mumbrella's editor, Shannon Malloy. How are you, Shannon? I'm well. How are you? I am good. And also joining us today is Mumbrella's deputy editor, Nathan Jolly. How are you, Nathan? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, guys. I, I gotta say, I'm still in a bit of a haze from um, Marbella 360 last week because it was just so much learning packed into, you know, three days and it's a lot to digest. I don't know how you guys are feeling after. Oh, it was epic. It was, what, 60 sessions or something? It I've was, lost count. Yeah, I know, I know. And we, you know, we covered many of them. It was uh, a huge feat and a really fantastic event. My first 360 and uh, I loved it. I had a great time. What about you, Nath, it was your first one too. It was my first, yeah. I'm still digesting all the various pasta treats, <laughs> pastry treats from it, sorry. There were a lot of pastry There was a lot of baked goods, yeah, it was great. A lot of baked goods. I'm, I'm happy that that was your highlight of the whole event. I enjoyed we'll, it. Uh, well, yeah, I'll pass that along to the caterers. <laughs> Hopefully there's more to come with you guys, you know, more 360 for a few more years. And um, so let's dive straight into our topic for the day, which is, you know, arguably what everyone has been talking about for the past 48 hours. So on Sunday night, Elon Musk took to Twitter to announce the latest brand identity for the platform, which is simply called X. Now, he did that for hours on Sunday, outlining his vision one tweet after another or one X after another, which is (laughs) what will be known from now on. But, you know, as of now, the logo on the website has been replaced and a new website, x.com, has been set up and redirected to Twitter's homepage and the world is waiting for more actions. Shannon and Nathan, what were your initial thoughts after hearing the rebrand was happening? I might start with you first, Shannon. Yeah, um, I, I remember when I saw it, I remembered reading something about his time at PayPal. Uh, he was obviously one of the, the sort of main players at PayPal in its early days. Um, and and it was about his exit from the company, which apparently came about after he was obsessed for months on end with renaming PayPal X. He wow. wanted to call it X. He's, he's an, an X maniac. Uh, and the board kind of apparently, as the story goes, became concerned about uh, where his priorities were and, and that led to his ousting from the company. So X is something that uh, that he's been keen on for a long time. Isn't one of his kids' names like 
X. Yeah. Yeah. X. Is X. Yeah. There you go. He's um, also got SpaceX. SpaceX. He's also got Telstra Model X. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Tesla Model X. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's his favorite letter, obviously. Um, look, I I saw it, and I think I'm sort of I've run out of times where I can be surprised about what Elon Musk does. Uh, he I think is enjoying keeping the world guessing. Uh, I doubt that. His, uh, his business partners and shareholders are uh, because it just sort of seems increasingly unhinged. Well, it also seems very silly that he's throwing away like the word tweet, which is in the common parlance these days, and that's so hard to get a word like that. You know, ask people who hoover their lounge rooms. Like the company Hoover is amazed by the fact that people use it as a verb and it's the same as tweeting and Twitter and it's in the language and now to remove all that and get rid of that goodwill and that just kind of simplicity because as you did in the intro where you said xed it like that's not gonna fly (laughs) rolls off the tongue yeah it doesn't really make sense to me and not to mention all the legal battles that i'm sure he'll find himself in yeah um can we talk a bit more about that because you sent something in the group chat yesterday so what was that all about all the trademarks of x Well, Microsoft owns X as a trademark. It filed that in 2003 and it uses it mainly around the Xbox and all its different gaming things. And it's it's, um, mainly to do with comms around gaming and online chat about gaming, chat room. So it's kind of crossed over. And Meta also owns a federal trademark, which is a logo that is a blue and white. I think it's kind of like the greater than, less than signs smashed together to make an X. So it filed that in 2019. And there's nearly 900 other active US trademarks oh for X. So and it's across everything. It's across automotive, sports, like any any industry you can think of, there is someone out there peddling X. So, I mean, it's – oh, not to mention that the actual logo itself, he just ripped from some font called Special Alphabets 4. It's just literally if you type in X with this font, that's the logo. So, Surely that's going to cost him down the line, right? You would think so, <laughs> but I don't really think he thinks down the line. I just It just shows how remarkable his train of thought is that you can buy a company for, was it $44 billion or $46 billion? Yeah, US. US, and then rebrand it on a whim on a Sunday night and use some random logo and not even Google to see if the name is available. Like, who? what is he thinking? What is he thinking? Yeah, he's been going on about this for ages as well, how he wants to make, like he wants to turn Twitter into an everything app, which is basically what WeChat is in China, where he wants people to do their banking, to do, like to call an Uber, to text, to broadcast their thoughts. He basically wants this one app named X to kind of be everything to everyone. And I just don't think that's possible especially not just just legally in terms of like monopoly laws and stuff like i can't see him getting too far with something like that before being slapped down from multiple angles yeah definitely i sort of i wanted to follow that line of conversation a bit more because this he talks about this idea of the everything app now you know we don't know what the business model will look like for x if it does turn out to be something like that but you know if it's anything like wechat Advertising won't be a huge part of it because WeChat they they get a lot of their um income from like payment service fee 
official account verifications and, uh, you know, selling chat stickers. And ads are definitely not the main revenue stream in that. So it kind of goes to my, comes to my next question, which is from an advertising perspective, do you think there is still space for brands to be on X in the future? And, you know, why, why should they even still care about what happens next with this app? Well, I, I mean, I think brands have already kind of deserted Twitter or X now uh, in recent months as as things have deteriorated and the platform has fundamentally changed. I think if you were a brand looking to where you can invest your money uh, and get the best return on investment but also have the least amount of risk to your brand, uh, you'd be thinking twice about X and Elon Musk. It seems increasingly like it's a sinking ship and being associated with someone so unpredictable and seemingly so rash in his decision making is probably not a great idea. I'd be wary of 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 advertising on such a platform if I was a brand, um, and and I just wouldn't be confident that it will exist in the near future as well. You talk about you know what is the business model of of all of this? I don't think there is one. I think. The plan is whatever is rolling around in Elon's head when he's awake at four o'clock in the morning Xing. Uh, you know, I, I think plans and strategy and and thoroughly thought out business approaches have have long since disappeared. Uh, God help, you know, the Tesla board and anyone who <laughs> who owns a Tesla. I got rid of mine because I'm worried it won't won't be worth anything in a little while. Um, yeah, scary times, strange times. He also doesn't have a history of monetizing things through advertising. When he was involved in PayPal, that didn't have any advertising. Tesla doesn't, you know, unless he's slapped a Coke logo on the side of his rockets <laughs> to the moon, I don't think SpaceX does either. So maybe it's not even part of his play. Maybe he just won't have advertising on it. And again, try to do like micro payments or something. Who knows? I think you're right though. And he'll get bored soon. He seems to get bored with everything. Yeah. He seems bored with Tesla. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I feel like at this stage all we can do is sort of just, you know, wait and see. But I assume we'll probably see more very soon. And um, coming up next, though, a chat between Mumbrella's editorial director, Damien Francis, and News Corp's Dan Gregstein on the company's new cold research. <laughs> Cultural diversity in Australia has long been one of the biggest challenges and opportunities for our country, and it's one that marketers and their agencies should be considering every day. We've been going deeper and deeper into this area, and recently at Mumbrella 360, News Corp Australia, one of our primary sponsors of the event via a partnership between the Growth Distillery and TRA, released new research around called Australians. The research focused on three large groups, migrants from India, China, and the Philippines, spanning 135 hours of stories and meaningful conversations that took place in late 2022. In 2023, those insights were boosted with a quantitative study of 2,000 called Australians from a broad range of countries. It was a packed session at Mumbrella 360 with a lot of important points and discussions, so we wanted to extend that conversation out to the Mumbrella cast audience and bring in one of the key people behind the research who couldn't make it uh, to Mumbrella 360 on the day. So please welcome to the Mumbrella cast, Director of the Growth Intelligence Centre and the Growth Distillery at News Corp, Dan Krigstein. Thanks, Dan. appreciate you having me on. No worries. That was the longest introduction that I could possibly do for you, Dan. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> 
It's fantastic to have you on because, like I said, that the session at 360 was a it was a deep session. Uh, it was a really important session as well in terms of the new research that's coming to light now and what marketers and their agencies should be doing with it. But Dan, let's start at the basics and assume that the people listening to this podcast haven't heard anything about it, don't know anything about it, or might be uh, referring to it using different terminology because if there's anything that our audience uh, is good at, it's uh, different acronyms. Uh, CALD, Dan, C-A-L-D, what does that stand for and why is it important? So CALD stands for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Australians. Um, There are a couple of nuanced uh, representations of CALD, but for the purpose of this, we specifically looked at Australians who speak uh, or have a primary language other than English spoken at home. Um, so what we're talking about is, you know, 50, just shy of 52% of the population that either have a parent born overseas, a grandparent born overseas, or, or themselves are a new migrant into the country. Yeah. And look, that's a lot of people, right? So like we said in the, the research, uh, o- over 51% of, of Australians, now I myself uh, count myself in that uh, demographic with both my parents being born overseas. But look, I wanted to, before we sort of dive real deep into that, you know, one of the questions that we always get asked from uh, from picky audience is is what does this person have to do with with the research or the intelligence? What's their connection? Just wanted to sort of draw on on your background a, a little bit in market research as well. You know, sure. previously uh, manager of worldwide market intelligence at, at Paramount Pictures in LA, uh, senior manager of customer data and partnerships at Qantas Loyalty. Now you're running the growth distillery. Can you tell me a bit about how how you've sort of uh, looked at this area over time and maybe how it's changing as well? Sure. Um, a lot of the roles that I've had uh, have operated at the intersection of what I would call commercial impact and, and market research. Um, there are a lot of really great researchers out there, you know, um, brilliant agencies that are doing phenomenal work. And similarly, you've got a lot of good commercial strategists, but um, being able to connect great insights with, you know, a so what and a do what um, is often much more nuanced. Uh, in particular, when it comes to the diversity of the people that that make up our consumer cohorts, uh, this is something that in almost every role um, that I've that I've uh, operated in, I've had to explore at some level. Um, and there's often this nuanced tension between, you know, what I would call cultural sensitivity. So what's the right level of abstraction that you can speak to customer cohorts um, and then strategic pragmatism on the other side, because it's, you know, particularly when you're talking to to different cultures, um, it is strategically impossible to, to segment down to a level that in a purist sphere of the world truly um, respects and, and, you know, and understands the nuance, you know, even if we look at India, right. um, Can you talk to to, to Australia's Indian population or do you then go down a level and look at North Indian versus South Indian or do you go down a level and look at the, you know, the 2000 odd dialects that come from, from continental India. Um, So as a marketer or as a strategist, understanding how can we make our products and services as valuable to the diversity of, of audiences that, that may want to, to purchase or engage with our products and services has, is an ever-present challenge in the role that, that I've been in. Um, this particular body of work uh, came about when we were talking to, to the brilliant minds over at TRA and, um, you know, as, as, as a, an employee of one of the major publishers, um, 
we, you know, we we take our role in terms of platforming and representing, you know, the diversity of Australia's populations really seriously, um, and that brings this this um, this dynamic really to the fore of what we have to do. How do we represent what is an incredible diversity of fundamentally Australians, right? Um, and we get caught in this, um, you know, I think you and I were talking about this earlier. We get caught in um, in this uh, midpoint of not really knowing what to do next with this information and how do we go about engaging these audiences. So, so we tried to take a really different tone and tact with this. So rather than looking uh, at these cultures through what I would call a multicultural lens, understanding the nuances of each of these cultures, we tried to find the connective tissue across the landscape, what we called an intercultural study, um, and where we could find, you know, connective tissue or connective threads across these cohorts in what unifies them rather than what divides them. Yeah, and look, like you said, right, you're working for a, a, a major news publisher. So I'm going to throw a, a headline your way, Dan, that uh, sure. you'll probably sympathise with uh, as just another journo trying to get a headline here out of, out of something. But correct me if I'm wrong or, um, you know, maybe provide more context uh, on this. One of the takeouts from the research that you've done uh, with TRA as well is that fundamentally marketers and communicators are kind of getting it wrong when they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, to talk to, communicate with, uh, called or, or called as your data, da- data, data sort of thing. Mm. Um, when, when we're trying to communicate uh, with these people who are, you know, inherently Australians as well. So what's, what are we getting wrong here, Dan? What, what's going on? Well, I mean, firstly, your headline is absolutely true. I mean, we, and we, we asked people, we asked, you know, two, just, you know, just over 2,200 cowed Australians, you know, whether or not they believed um, that brands were for people like themselves or whether or not these brands communicated in ways that they could relate to. Um, and we got a pretty poor report card. Um, mm. And I think that that, you know, that report card can be misinterpreted as us not attempting to do a good job of it. Um, you know, and e- even when, even when we were, you know, we were bringing this work to market, th- there's a level of, uh, I guess, apprehension in, in even having this discussion, right? Because, you know, we all, you know, for the most part, want to respect the cultural nuance and, and, and you know, and be liberated by all of the rich diversity that Australia's population holds, right? Uh, and we really truly are a, a very unique melting pot as a nation. Um, but again, you come back to sort of there's this tension between, you know, and, and there's a really great marketing um, adage around, you know, lumping versus, uh, versus splitting, right? Um, and marketers, you know, particularly at the moment, we have this tendency to look to split our audiences now, you know, be it for marketing effectiveness, and you know, we don't have uh, infinite budgets and have to make sure that those dollars work. Um, but in our in our ambition to do right by these communities, but with the default being to split us up into smaller subsets of population, so that we can find, you know, what's what's the perfect way to speak to a Vietnamese Australian versus a you know the perfect way to speak to uh, a Samoan Australian or, or, or you know whatever mm. the cultural background may be. Um, we're fundamentally missing the brief, which is these communities have moved to a new country to become Australian, not to mm. be, you know, this, this sort of us versus them dynamic is not necessarily the right tone and tact. Um, and so I think from, from our observations and certainly from the feedback that we got from these communities, um, 
they just want to feel as though they are part of the cultural fabric. And in us trying to be respectful, that is being misconstrued as a, as a, as a well, not a power distance, but a cultural distance put between us, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really difficult one though, isn't it? Because on, on one sense, I guess a, a lot of markets have been trained for a long time to consider those cultural variations. And uh, the, like you said about, um, about uh, India, there are mm. so many uh, subsets, you know, whether it's dialect or area, etc. Um, mm. and, and marketers getting, I guess, caught up in that where, to, to your point, what, what are people who have moved to Australia want? They, they want to be seen as Australian. So how do marketers, uh, I guess, adjust their thinking and adjust their methodology uh, to ensure that what they do next is going to be an effective way of ensuring that they're communicating with this audience? Mm. I think knowing where to play and and where not to play, I think is a really interesting point to start. Um, You know, we we looked at a raft of different dimensions of of Australia's cultural fabric and and of any cultural fabric um, for that matter. Um, And there's certain things that are almost a fool's errand, right? And, and when, you, when, you know, when you say it, it makes absolute sense. Things like, you know, family values and spirituality, you know, the cultural celebrations and, and, and food-based rituals. These are things that, um, that anyone that moves to a new country, they, they're going to retain. They deeply anchor to this cultural heritage. It serves as an anchor to where, you know, to where they have originated. Um, then you've got things that, that I think uh, represent a really interesting opportunity for marketers, which are things that, that um, these communities look to adapt over time. But um, but even that, I guess, uh, masks a level of nuance. But things like um, courtship and dating, uh, you know, m- the medical sector, uh, ageing and aged care, the way that we socialise, lifestyle-based um, engagements and entertainment, these are all things that you can imagine when someone moves to a new country, um, they start with an anchored position based on how those those cultural dimensions were in their home nation. But over time, particularly over the first generation and then the second generation, right, once your parents have even been born in the country, there's this transitory period. Um, but these things fundamentally, we saw, you know, the, these communities um, mentioned that they wanted to adapt over time. Then you've got certain things that, that communities look to adopt really quickly. Um, you know, and, and, you know, this again, this is not necessarily um, specific to those that don't speak English. You know, this was a, a study on culturally and linguistically diverse communities, but um, mm. you might be an Australian citizen that moves to the US or that might move to the UK and you will go through a similar journey, right, um, where there are certain things that you look to adopt really quickly, things like travel behaviours, um, sports followership, fashion, um, you know, new, news cycle being another one. Um, and these three territories, right, this retain, adapt, adopt, these buckets, for lack of a better word, um, there are different jobs to be done in each. Um, but I think sitting above all of this, I think there are, there's a couple of principles, I think, that um, that are universal in terms of um, supporting, I think, a, a, a more effective marketing toolkit when it comes to these communities. Um, the first, I think, is you know understanding that every culturally and linguistically diverse Australian has at least one thing that is universal. They have all made a journey to a new country to build a better life. And, and, and with that comes this 
amazing aspirational drive, right? And we see this no matter which cultural cohort we speak to, um, there is a thirst and a hunger, right? I mean, you know, it's not a, an insignificant life event to pick your, you know, yourself and your family up and and move to a new country. I mean, you and I have spoken about this, you know, even from uh, yep. from your perspective, right? Um, and and that provides, I think, a really uh, a really human starting point um, and a really interesting way for marketers to tap into their thirst to build a new life in a new country. And in that, I think that, you know, fundamentally, it's all about building agency, right? When you move to a new country, you know, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of overwhelming information that you have to take in. There are a lot of new systems. There are a lot of new um, civil constructs like uh, Medicare being a really good one. Um, You know, how do you vote? Uh, The financial sector, how do you buy a house? What does rent look like? These things that that we as, you know, um, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh generation Australians take for granted as just organic knowledge. These are all new things. Um, But this provides a really, really powerful entry point for brands to build really sticky relationships um, to new migrants. And even those that might not be new migrants, but might have parents that were new migrants. Now, Dan, you you mentioned it before, and I want to just sort of retouch on it and and see if you could explain it like in a little bit more detail as well, that the steps of the journey... Um, along the way of, um, I guess, uh, finding your way in a, in a new country, a retain, adapt, adopt. Mm. Uh, can you give us a little bit more detail about what each of those phases involves? Um, sure. So it's not so much that they're phases, but these are dimensions, the dimensions of, or, or cultural dimensions, for, for lack of a better word, that that serve different purposes and have different trajectories along uh, a migrant's journey to a new country, right? So you can imagine someone comes to a new country and there's this, um, you know, there's this passage, right? What we, what we, what we called in the research from beginning to belonging, right? Um, you land, there's, you know, you, you land in this new country and then there's this dream, you know, the thrill of, of you, you arriving in, in this, um, in this nation to build a better, to build a better life. Uh, then of course, there's this reality check that hold on a second, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. There, there is a lot of friction along the way, right? There's, there's, uh, it's often nowhere near as easy as we, we sort of tell ourselves in these journeys. Um, and then you go through this period of turbulence um, where there's, you know, there, there's, there's road bumps along the way. Um, you, might, uh, you might struggle to, to land uh, a credit facility that allows you to live that life that you want to live. You might um, really struggle to find a great doctor or understand or get your head around um, the financial sector. You might, it might be, it might take longer to, to buy that house in the area that you really want to live in, right? These, these reality checks. Um, Mm. And then finally, you know, as, as you, um, as you progress further along this journey, then you end up finding your equilibrium, right? And it's where that equilibrium sits that really stratifies the retain, adapt, adopt. Um, And we map this as part of the research. Um, you know, things that, if you can imagine along a continuum, on one side, you've got uh, things that I lean into my cultural heritage in the, ori- you know, my, my port of origin, right? And on the other end of that spectrum, uh, I want to lean into either Australia, or I want to lean into the destination country, right? So think arrivals and departures. Um, things that stay towards my cultural heritage and, reta- and stay there over generations, we put in this retain bucket. Um, and so brands trying to convince um, these communities 
to adopt a way that is um, either adjacent or in, or in contrast to their own family heritage, it's a fool's errand, right? doesn't mean that there's not a way that a brand can't interact with those audiences and, and provide valuable service, but the nuance in which you engage with those audiences is really different to things that, that start in terms of I'm anchoring to the way that it was in my, you know, in my home country, but I'm looking to transition really quickly because it's, it, um, it provides me an entryway into the culture that I'm looking to build. You know, sports being a great example of this, right? Mm. You move to a new country um, and often, you know, you, you, you may pick a sport or, them, or you might find sport as the connective tissue, right? Because, you know, cricket is a great example um, where you, if, when you move to a new country and if you, had, if you were a follower of cricket in your home nation, then that's a really uh, easy, uh, you know, territory for you to have really brilliant water cooler conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look... We're very quickly running out of time and it's one of those conversations that I think you can never give enough time to. Uh, I want to sort of finish off with two questions for you, Dan. Uh, firstly, when you got hold of this information and, and was sort of sifting through the research and, and, and having a look, firstly, were you surprised by any of it or did you sort of think that this is where we were? I was surprised at how difficult the conversation was to be had with people when we got the research results. Um, as I mentioned, I think it's it's such a profoundly important conversation for us to have. You know, you're talking about a now majority of the Australian population, right? Where it's over 50% of the population that have a parent born overseas. So yep. we're no longer talking about minority groups. Yes, it comprises of a, you know, a huge diversity of different cultures and subcultures and sub um, subsects of those cultures. But... I think I was surprised at how at how much united these communities more so than divided them. Um, I mean that was that was the thesis when we um, when we embarked on this sort of merry journey um, that there might have been a connective thread that allowed brands to speak in a voice uh, that would be more appealing to these cohorts. But just understanding how how shared their experiences were, regardless mm. of, of which nation or, or which cultural background they came from was quite confronting. Um, and I think it, it, it shows just how much work we've got to do um, as brands to to be truly representative of, of what is now Australia's population. Yep, that all makes sense. Um, I want to finish off, Dan, on where to next. You know, we used that uh, headline in the middle of this discussion of, you know, we're doing it wrong. Um, what's the what's the future headline? You know, in, in sort of six months' time or, or, or twelve months' time, what what are the next steps for marketers and, and their agencies to get on top of this? It's a great question. I think, from my perspective, I think plunging in authentically is the next best action. Um, you know, I think perfection is the enemy of the done, as they say, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's about it's about acknowledging that there is work to be done and doing it together. It's not a, we've got to do it for them and I've got, you know, wrap it in a nice bow and hey, we're done. Um, and I think just opening the conversation up to these communities, right? And, and, you know, understanding that there is that there is more that unites us than divides us and being able to tap into that. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, fundamentally these communities are no different in terms of the fundamental needs for brands to connect with people who believe what they believe, right? They're just at a different stage 
of understanding in a different stage of building agency with certain areas, right? You know, medicine is, is I think, one of the, one of the easy, easiest examples to, to articulate, which is, you know, we all go through a learning phase of, of understanding what the medical system looks like and what's Medicare and do I need private healthcare and how do I find the right doctor and what's a good dentist? And, you know, the, but these things often we, we get um, viral osmosis through parents and friends and growing up in this country. Um, that journey is no different to, to the journey of someone that moves to this new country, except they get shot out of a cannon, whereas ours is a little bit more fluid, right? Like, you know, a slowly moving river versus the turbulence of rapids. Um, and so I think it's, it's just about understanding um, that the journey is the same, but albeit different, different dilations, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and if, and if, you know, as a brand, if, if all we're trying to do is give people agency to choose us, um, then I think that, that it dispels a lot of the, I guess, the fear and the friction of us not getting it right. And, and what I'm noticing is that in our, in our aspiration to get it right for these communities, um, we're actually, you know, crippled with, with lack of action. Right. We have unfortunately run out of time. So if you want to go back and actually watch the session from Umbrella 360, you can do that. It's uploaded on Mumbrella Pro and you're looking for the session called 52% of Australia isn't hearing you shouting louder won't do. I would highly recommend that you go back and watch that. But in the meantime, Dan, thank you so much for joining us on the Mumbrella cast. My absolute pleasure. And now Shannon's chat with O Media CEO, Cathy O'Connor. Cathy O'Connor, thanks so much for your time. That's a pleasure. Now, broadly speaking, the out-of-home space has seen exceptional growth in spend over the last little while. What do you put that down to when so many other forms of media are, are struggling a little bit? There's a number of things going on which play into out-of-home strength, uh, and that is, first and foremost, large audiences. I think advertisers and marketers more generally are always keen to understand how audiences are behaving, what they're doing, what they're not doing. And as we know, technology has fundamentally changed a lot of media consumption habits. But Out of Home sits quite distinct from that in that its audiences are growing uh, and its mass rich audiences are growing. And so in a fragmenting market where it's harder to isolate a large audience or if you can find one, it might cost you a premium to get there with any great uh, any great saturation, uh, out of home has this privileged place where it exists in the public space. And so our audiences are a byproduct of how people move and how they live in cities. And as we know, with population growth and growth in, in urbanisation and the existence of new public infrastructure, new rail lines, new freeways, uh, these are all opportunities for out of home to continue to grow that mass reach. And the further out we go as media fragments, that very basic premise of mass reach becomes more powerful. And it's also, in relative terms, uh, quite cost efficient and quite easy uh, to reach a large audience quickly. And so those things um, at a very basic media consumption level are very true of the sector. When we can see other forms of broadcast media struggling to hold on to the big audiences of yesteryear, uh, and you know, no surprises which mediums they are. 
So on top of that, we have digitisation, which is the, the other trend that's really fueled the growth of out-of-home. This trend has been going on since the first digital sites in 2010, but it's now being amplified as tech gets more sophisticated, things like dynamic creative uh, optimization, uh, you know, timing of commercial message by context, by day, by weather trigger, um, and so forth are all uh, what I would call new world digital inclusions that make out of home much more than just a, a big brand medium. So in the old static billboard days, it was possibly and arguably one of the two strongest mediums for, for, for building a big brand. And now it does no less of that, of course, and it does it perhaps up in lights in the digital format in billboards and many other environments. But, of course, now it has this real-time nature which allows advertisers to get quite sophisticated using their own data sets to identify customers, to understand buyers and where they move and what assets they move about, uh, and to understand uh, how to target messages by context. And as we know, contextual advertising has a very strong link to effectiveness and ROI. So they're just some of the thoughts. I could go all day if you let me, um, which are playing into our continued growth. So I think uh, one of the questions I'm often told is, I often hear of the comments is, oh, but this is just COVID recovery. And I think the point to make about that is the COVID recovery, uh, we, we exceeded that in 2022 when the industry reached over a billion dollars uh, and exceeded the industry revenues of 2019, which was the last full pre-COVID year. So we're beyond the COVID point. And then fast forward in the first half of the year and you've got out of home growing uh, around 12, 13% in a media market that, that has struggled to show any growth at all. Yeah. So this is not COVID. This actually is, in my view, a very big structural shift towards what will be the last remaining mass reach medium. Yeah, and clearly so. And your business, uh, O-Media, has, has had a cracker year so far. Um, give me the, the sort of highlights of, of the big wins that you're celebrating of late. So we are the largest player. So, yes, when the sector does well, um, you know, it's always a very good uh, operating environment for all of us. Uh, we've, had, we've had growth in our business. As you know, we're uh, only some weeks away from reporting our interim results uh, and we'll have more to say about our specifics of our performance and at the moment I've restricted um, from talking sure. about that for obvious reasons being listed. Um, however, we have also um, been front foot with new products, new digital products. Uh, we've launched a, a national 3D anamorphic offering, uh, which is an expansion of uh, our single city 3DA offering uh, that we've had on offer for some time. We have uh, launched uh, iMotion, which is our full motion, um, small format video uh, capability, which again uh, is a transformation of what Out of Home has always represented. It's now can do um, real-time video, uh, and that's very powerful and, and has a very high responsiveness from consumers, as we know, particularly in some of those pedestrian environments. So new products, and now um, we're delighted to announce new assets. And uh, we have been successful in securing the long-term contract for the new uh, Metro Rail Line in Sydney, 
so these are premium rail assets uh, which will complement our Melbourne Metro trains offering beautifully. Uh, and also separate to that, we've secured the, the new Martin Place precinct, which will be both the um, Metro railway station for Martin Place and a new retail precinct, which will really transform that premium business environment in the CBD, which, as we know, is uh, is is, a, is certainly an important um, and 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 a a destination of really high-value customers. So we're thrilled about those things. Um, and then also in addition to that, uh, we've just secured the street furniture contract for Wallara Council. And this is the first time that uh, street furniture or bus shelters have been offered in this uh, very premium Blue Ribbon um, series of suburbs across uh, across metropolitan Sydney. Uh, from Double Bay through to Dover Heights, right through to Watson's Bay, uh, the first time that this roadside bus shelter offering will be made um, available. And as we know, from a socioeconomic point of view, that is the wealth bit of, bit of Sydney. So if you combine those assets together with our office towers, our airport environments with Qantas and Chairman's Lounge, we're incredibly excited to be able to bring new pathways to premium consumers and more broadly uh, mass reach audiences in some new environments. And we do know that um, the opportunity to relaunch and rebuild digital assets always gets great interest from advertisers and uh, we're looking forward to sort of riding that momentum into 2024. The uh, the Sydney Metro win is a, is a biggie, that's for sure, and it was probably one of the most sought-after uh, sought after bits of work in the space. Can you give me some insight into how competitive that was for you and, and, and your kind of point of difference to your competitors? Look, I don't really think we ever know those details. These are these are commercial tenders and you, in many ways you, you're just playing your own strategy with all of them. Um, we are incredibly upbeat about uh, rail and we always have been. You know, we've operated in rail for some time and we... We do know that um, not all stations are created equal and we know where the premiums and the value is. And so we've had our eye on this uh, emerging asset for some time um, and we've always sort of thought, you know, to prioritise the quality assets where we can and to optimise the network to deliver the quality audiences, not just uh, panels for panels' sake. So we knew Metro was coming through. Um, it's on the record that we were... Um, we wound up the Sydney Trains contract uh, in our business in 2021. And so we had our eye on this all the way through those processes and, you know, we're just incredibly upbeat about the Sydney Metro, uh, Sydney Melbourne, rather, uh, rail offering that we have uh, with two pretty premium and high commuter traffic areas. So we, we just put our best foot forward. It's not only about, uh, you know, the revenues that you deliver to these contracts, it's your vision for the assets the way in which you service those assets is a range of things that out-of-home businesses like ours do. Uh, you know, we operate in the public space and, and our statement of purpose is to make public spaces better uh, and brands are missable. So consider the extent to which we can have attractive screens for advertisers, the, the utility of our bus shelters and the way we're thinking about them into a more green future, all of those things are front and centre in, you know, what we all bring to market. And, and this is an industry-wide thing. You know, the industry is incredibly progressive, uh, increasingly digital and very innovative. 
and I think with the confidence of our growth growth story, you are seeing good investment of, by all operators in out of home, and that's a very good thing for commercial partners, be they councils or transport um, organisations or private operators, and of course advertisers who benefit from all that innovation too. Now, you, you're right. What you said before, I could talk about this all day with you. We are running out of time, though. But uh, So just quickly, uh, if you can summarise it, give me a preview of what uh, your Move 2.0 launch next year might look like and what it means for the, for the sector. So Move 2.0 will be an absolute step change in the level of insight that agencies and advertisers and partners will be able to um, gain in out of home. I think one of the comments that we have long heard in out of home is that we want more data, we want to understand how the different assets work individually, together, metro, regional, and none of these things have really been part of the uh, first two evolutions of MOVE, meaning MOVE 1.0 and 1.5. So we are seeing a massive expansion in which assets will be covered by MOVE not only the road-based assets but retail and place-based environments like airports, office towers, will all be part of the data set, which is very powerful and will really help us to tell that story about mass reach across all environments, which I think is incredibly important. And it will do that on an apples-for-apples basis. So that a lot of operators within the sector, both large and small, will all be singing from the same hymnal with the same data set. And I think that's always... That makes us easier to buy and gives advertisers and agencies a single source of truth. And that is obviously the basis of sound negotiation and, and, and good advocacy from, from on the medium's part. So we're really thrilled about that. In O-Media's case, the fact that regional out-of-home will be measured for the first time is of great uh, interest to us. We are the largest operator of regional out-of-home and up until this point, uh, it has not been measured. So the ability to show some of these audiences in non-metro markets and how they move and what sort of scale we can add to the national advertiser beyond metro markets is going to be really powerful as well. And we do know in you know other other channels, I think radio bought uh, their over the last 10 years have bought in their regional measurement. Again, it, it does play well into the growth of, of regional media and we're believers in that. Well, plenty more to, to talk about as things develop. Cathy O'Connor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Throw us a follow or subscribe. Big thank you to Dan and Cathy for the interview. And of course, thank you for joining me today, Shannon. My pleasure. And thank you for joining me today, Nathan. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.